This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Maya. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And our topic this week is... Um, I do have a topic this week, but with the current kind of a sad feeling and depression feeling that I'm feeling with what we'll mention in a bit, I've decided to go back to a topic that is dear to our heart and that would be easy to talk without being too much uh, stressful. Let's, let's put it this way. Tonight... We'll talk about the state of Mac in 2016. Oh, great. Uh, but before that, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, so oh, first yes. of all, if my voice sounds a little bit nasally this episode, it's because I've been sneezing incessantly for the last two weeks. Um, so I will try to clean all of that up in post if I can. Um, so that sucks. Uh, secondly, uh, we'd like to address, of course, the elephant in the room, the American presidential election. Uh, our heart goes out to all of our American listeners. We know that it is very shitty the way things turned out, and our thoughts are with you. And I think we're not going to talk about it very much because I think everybody is so emotional right now that we don't have enough distance to actually say anything smart about it. Um, but we just want everybody in America to know that we are just as sad as they are. And uh, particularly uh, the minority groups, our heart goes out to them because they are going to have a really rough time. Oh, yeah. And I think it is time to kind of uh, take it is a special moment to take some time to grieve and to maybe just wind down on all of that political uh, talk and repercussion and maybe just think about the individuals and just think about yourself for a sec. If you feel depressed, if you feel uh, endangered, there's shit tons of resource right now. Uh, people on Twitter are linking to them. And just think about yourselves first and make sure you come back and you'll be able to fight for which clan you want. But at least you'll be back with us and be able to be energized again with life. Yep. Uh, next up, programming note. Uh, so as we mentioned on the last episode, and we will continue to mention on every episode until it actually takes place, uh, we are going on hiatus at the end of the year, and our final episode is going to be on December, December 11th, I believe. Yes. Yep. Uh, and we are going to be pre-announcing our topics for these episodes. It's super rare that we do that, but since uh, we are in the last three episodes of uh, Before the Hiatus, we've decided to uh, kind of... Uh, shake up our idea and maybe especially for me to motivate me to uh, bring up a topic I tease a lot and that will be our final episode. The topic I'll, we will end uh, before this hiatus will be my near year of Swift usage as my main programming language for iOS development. Uh, I think in my like I think it will be maybe like on the ninth or 10th month of Swift being my main programming language. And we did have uh, mentioned some of our kind of feelings and ideas and uh, opinions about that in previous uh, episodes, but I would like to encapsulate all of those in a specific episode about Swift. And what will be our next episode in two weeks, Yannick? Yeah, so November 27th, I'm going to be making an episode on my Tokyo Travel Guide. So anybody who wants to go to Japan or who is thinking about going to Tokyo, uh, I'm going to have a bunch of tips and things to consider, uh, maybe demystify a little bit of the options you have with regards to rail travel and airports 
and give some recommendations for some touristy stuff to do in town. So that's going to be our next episode on November 27th. And then, as you said, December 11th, we're going to have the final episode about your development in Swift. So look forward to those things. Uh, if you have any questions for us for those episodes, we don't usually take questions, but you can send them to us at Limipo Podcast on Twitter. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast on Twitter. And we'll try to answer them if we get any. Yeah, sure. Okay, we have a mountain of follow-up, all of which, more or less, is from me, so I'm going to get right in there. Starting out with, of course, can't shut up about it, Apple Watch Series 2 and Suica integration. Uh, Yay, mobile payments again! Yeah, uh, so Japanese Engadget had a really cool article about setting up the Apple Watch Series 2 for Suica and the user experience. Um, What was really interesting is there's a Vine, Rip Vine, uh, of... (laughs) The, the guy from Engadget, uh, using his watch on his left hand to use the thing on the right side of him. Uh, so if you want to know what the pose is like, you can go look at that. But I think there's something very specific about Suica that it makes it different from other Apple Pay compatible cards right now. And that is help mode. Have you heard about help mode? I have not. Okay. So there are occasionally situations where JR, Japanese Rail employees, might ask you for your Suica pass. And their reader might be behind a counter and not something that they can just bring up to your wrist. But of course, if you take your watch off your wrist, you can't use wallet. So help mode is a mode you can enable by force pressing on the Suica card in the wallet app. And you can enable for a limited amount of time Suica functionality, even when your watch is removed from your wrist, which I believe is the only type of card that does this. And I thought wow. that was really cool. Um, yeah, a bit worrying. Well, like I said, I think it disables automatically after a certain amount of time to ensure that you can't just leave it on all the time. And it's no, really, sure, it, it's really it's... there just for support scenarios. Like one example that happened is one time I really screwed up uh, my train plans and I ended up like in between two gates that like I couldn't go back another way. I couldn't go back through the gate I had entered and I couldn't go through the other gate because I had the wrong type of ticket or something. And I had to give my Suica pass to someone at a counter so that they could reset the state of the thing. And this is sort of what this is built for. Um, so I think that's useful to have for those scenarios. I don't think it's like, a feature that they're advertising very much. I think it's just something that they have there for those weird scenarios. Hmm, interesting. The only thing that worried me is just like ending out your Apple Watch to a stranger, even if it's a like Japan Railway employee. It's just it's a stranger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but until they update their readers to actually be able to go over the counter and stuff like that, don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. Okay, next up, episode seven follow up. Do you remember what episode seven was about? Uh, no, but if I follow your list, I kind (laughs) of know it's about car entertainment systems. So on episode seven, we talked about things we were looking forward to in 2015. Oh yeah, I remember this episode (laughs) and I was, it was kind of my CarPlay episode. Yeah, so you talked about CarPlay and Android Auto. And one of the things that was announced this week by Google is that now you can use Android Auto's UI from your smartphone screen. So if you mount it in your car, 
or your car doesn't support car, uh, Android Auto, you can just use it like an app on your phone. And I think that um, this is particularly interesting because I don't think Android Auto has had the adoption that Google necessarily thought it would. And the other thing is, I think this is going to be huge with people like truckers, thinking about my dad here. Uh, these people are already mounting their iOS and Android devices in their trucks and using complex applications to do various GPS stuff. But wouldn't it be nice if they could also just interact with their media and all that stuff through a car UI instead of having to use very small touch targets on their phones while they're driving. So I think this is really smart. Uh, also, I don't think like trucks are particularly on the line for what's coming up next in Android Auto and CarPlay support. Um, so I thought this was really neat. And I saw a lot of iOS people be very jealous that people can do this on Android and that you, that you can't do this with CarPlay. Oh, yeah, totally. I would use that feature like all day long if I were able to do that with CarPlay on iOS. Um, yes, I do have uh, an infotainment system in my car that has a GPS and uh, a pretty decent Bluetooth support. But still, uh, I would like it better uh, if I were able to just uh, do that. The main thing I would like to have with CarPlay is my car supports a series entry. So it's pretty recent for that. But the problem is it, series entry doesn't show you uh, or doesn't provide you with that much audio feedback sometimes it it's like and i think the best example is i'm about to drive downtown to go like pick up tony and i'm like maybe a couple of blocks away so i'm like siri where's tony and it says here's tony's location oh yeah and it doesn't tell you it just shows you the map right yes exactly but the fact the problem is it kind of knows that i've figured that through my car because sometimes like it thinks that I want to open maps for no, for unknown reasons and it tells me no I cannot open maps because you're driving I'm like yes so if you know that I'm driving why it's still assuming that you ca I can see my screen because even when those I do those commands my iPhone which is mounted on a mount in front of me doesn't wake up it doesn't show oh, wow. on the screen so Siri says here's the location of Tony <laughs> And the screen is the screen is blank, completely blank. Wow, that's strange. I didn't think of that. Um, yeah, and if I recall correctly, with CarPlay, it would show you some feedback. It will not show you text feedback, but maps and all, it will appear on screen. And I think they also with CarPlay, and maybe this is a bug, and they forgot to enable it for Siri hands-free. But I think Siri is smart in that it can contextually tell if you're calling from within your car, like you said uh, about the maps thing, but it also gives you more voice feedback if it's aware that you're not looking at the screen. For example, I think I heard like if you're using a headset like my Beat Solos 3, Solo 3s that I'm using right now that we'll talk about in a bit, um, and you invoke Siri from there, the OS sort of has this presumption that you might not be looking at the screen. So it's going to give you more voice feedback than if you hold down the home button on your phone and invoke it that way. And I think that came up a couple of weeks ago when uh, the Pixel came out because people were doing comparisons between the Pixel and uh, the Pixel's Google Assistant and the iPhone Siri. And they were saying, well, Siri doesn't provide enough things, but they were invoking it from the home button. And apparently if you redo the test from a headset, you get different results. So I think like they sort of have to figure out their act for that. Um, but I think in general, they should just give voice feedback all the time because it's never not useful really 
Um, it, it depends. It depends. I I think Siri, like you said, um, is able to get this contextual information and maybe to fix those small bugs and make it more contextual. Yeah, we need. Good. Next part on your list is some Nintendo stuff. Yeah, so last episode we talked about the Nintendo Switch, and uh, a good part of this follow-up is specifically about Splatoon as an eSport in the context of the Nintendo Switch reveal trailer, which showed two teams playing at a large Splatoon tournament that is pretty much bigger than anything else the Splatoon competitive scene has seen since then. Um, there was a great article on Polygon by Ryan Gilliam, which is a staff writer for the Rift Herald. Uh, the Rift Herald is actually Polygon's League of Legends specific news blog. And he wrote a post about why Splatoon wouldn't be a viable esport, which I thought was very funny given that I was arguing sort of for it, uh, in the last episode. Uh, quickly summarized his argument is that Splatoon lacks opportunities for moments of tension. There's no sense of in-match progression where like, the longer the game is, the characters in the game don't actually get more powerful over the state of the game, uh, aside from, like, one ability they have. Um, and there's no clear roles. There's a clear objective, but, like, it's there's no attack versus defense dynamic going on. Um, there is much, much more content in the actual post that you can read. Uh, I don't want to go too much into it because we have a ton of follow-up this week. Um, but I think this opinion is more representative of the opinions of people who are already re-watching esports than it is of people in the mainstream. Uh, recently, American TV networks have been trying to play with the idea of integrating esports into their programming. Uh, recently, TBS, which is a big semi-sports, semi-entertainment network in the U.S., uh, started E-League, which is a big uh, Counter-Strike global offensive uh, league that takes place every year. Uh, which is going to be, well, it ended recently, and then they also streamed, uh, or rather casted on TV, uh, Overwatch Open Finals. Um, so I think TV networks are slowly trying to get that into their schedule, but the big question is, how do you make esports approachable to first-time viewer audiences? Because if you're used to tuning in at t- uh, on TBS every week and seeing a basketball game, and then all of a sudden you're seeing Counter-Strike, like, you maybe don't understand how Counter-Strike is played, what the rules are, how counter, or even if you're familiar with Counter-Strike, maybe you don't understand what makes competitive Counter-Strike different from casual Counter-Strike. Uh, because games can be very different in a competitive scene than they are casually. Like, look at Quake, for example. Uh, Quake is a first-person shooter, and you think, well, obviously the objective of Quake is to get more kills than your opponent, which is true. But in practice, a lot of competitive Quake is about navigating the map very quickly, knowing what cycles things, uh, items on the map respawn on, and which angles give you a... Uh, sightline onto your opponents and even like 3d audio knowing like if you hear a sound coming from this direction it's coming from this item and therefore it means that they're headed in this direction and stuff like that like all of those dynamics are things that are part of the game but you have to figure out how to explain those things to first time viewer audiences and it's not necessarily something easy to do with video games especially when the thing about esports is like Next year, there's not going to be football 2017 that's going to come out and suddenly, like, you have to learn how to play football all over again. Like, people who watch football every year, it's pretty much the same game and rule changes are huge deals when they happen. But, like, 
Look at League of Legends, for example. Season one competitive League of Legends is completely different from like what we just finished season six, I think, League of Legends. Um, because the game has evolved so much and there have been so many patches that the game is completely different. And next week there could be a game that comes out that completely replaces League of Legends. And then what happens then? What knowledge is transferable from one game to another? It's very different from traditional sports. And I think that, uh, it's not necessarily something that might be mainstream. I think maybe we need to go towards games like Splatoon that are more approachable and much simpler so that people have a better understanding of what's going on. And it can be their introductory esport in quotes. Um, and I think a lot of the arguments in his post presume that games that are, aren't successful as esports now are unlikely to be successful in, as esports in the future, which I don't necessarily think is correct. Um, one of the things that traditional sports have going for them is when you're watching them, it's very obvious what the objective is. Like in football, you're running from one end of the field to the other. And there are a couple other rules that you need to know to understand like the gist of the game and then like there's penalties and shit but you don't really have to care um and i think splatoon is sort of elegant in that way as well where the entire game is about controlling territory and you can look at a top-down view of the splatoon map and you see the entire state of the game in that screenshot which is not something that can be said for most uh well it can be said for a lot of esports but it requires a lot more knowledge of what's going on on the map, whereas this is blatantly obvious. It's like two colors on a map, and everything is clear as day. No, and I think your point is valid, saying that, like, let's take me as an example, which I'm a complete esports noob. I do enjoy Splatoon, and it feels to me that the game dynamics are simple enough that casual peepers and casual gamers could become aware of esports with the game that is simpler to understand it's like you get that there's like a color and another color and the goal is to paint the most percentage of the of the maps area yeah that's it i think the strongest point in his article is really that there are very few moments of tension in splatoon like kills in splatoon don't really matter i mean they matter in that you've taken out a player for maybe five seconds but ultimately, the only objective in the whole thing is paint the map the color. And yes, there are different game modes, which are actually just variations on paint this box, except sometimes it's like paint this specific piece of the map within this amount of time, and then you get a point or whatever. Like, it all revolves around this very basic me- mechanic, which I think maybe isn't necessarily something that scales very long term like you're not going to see splatoon well at least i don't think you're going to see splatoon in the way that it is played now play competitively for like 10 years whereas counter-strike like there's still people playing counter-strike 1.6 which came out like 15 years ago like that's a game that has depth in it that can actually be replayed for many 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 years whereas i don't think the depth that is necessarily there in Splatoon. Um, but enough talking about that blog post. We have other stuff to talk about about Splatoon as an eSport, amazingly enough. Uh, we got more details about the Switch. Well, yeah, but that's later. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I, I still have another thing about Splatoon as eSports, which is I was talking about, like, what could Nintendo do to support the scene? And I also mentioned 
Uh, release the switch? Tum, tum. No. Um, <laughs> I'm making fun of you a bit. So I linked you a video uh, shortly after we recorded the last episode, which was a video from Blizzard about Heroes of the Storm, which announced big changes to their competitive structure for 2017 that is along the lines of what's in mind. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. You can go watch it. Um, generally what it is is it's sort of what I talked about last week. It is... A league with teams that are uh, that have to sign an agreement that they are going to pay their players a salary above a certain level. Uh, they have guaranteed matches every week where they have to play in round robin styles and get league points, and then they show uh, they partake in three major events throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, the best teams go to BlizzCon where they have the World Finals. Um, that's more or less the structure of what it is. It's a very traditional esports arrangement. Uh, it's not, there's nothing particularly special about the HGC. It's just that I play Heroes of the Storm, so it sort of touches my sphere of things. And, uh, Heroes of the Storm has been doing rather weekly in the esports scene right now, so they're really trying to give it like a big boost to see if it changes anything. Um, and we may, I, I am actually planning an episode on esports, well, several episodes on esports and on MOBAs, uh, for our next season. So I'm not going to talk too much about it, but you can go watch that video. What's amazing is that a week later at BlizzCon 2016, they also announced the Overwatch League, which is a much bigger deal. It tries to use Overwatch as a means of elevating esports to the same level as traditional sports. So, Traditional esports, you don't have teams in cities. Like, you don't have... Uh, well, in, previously some leagues did do this and they all failed, so maybe this could also fail. <laughs> but, I mean, you don't have, like, the LA something. You don't have the Boston something. Like, they're all teams that are owned by a company and very few places... Uh, very few teams actually represent cities. They represent organizations which have sponsors, generally. What makes Overwatch League different is... First of all, you enter Overwatch League as an individual player, um, whereas traditional esports are generally done at the team level. You have to somehow get together as a team beforehand and then enter the, the competitive league that way. Overwatch League, you enter as a player, and then you get drafted into teams, sort of like traditional sports. The team owners are going to be stationed in specific cities and they're going to be not the first year but starting from the second year of overwatch league and onwards there are going to be stadium events and home and away matches like traditional sports where people are going to be flying across the country to go play matches in other cities and you can go attend your local games or if you're crazy and have a lot of money go attend away games so they really want to do all this stuff and there is a ton of money being thrown uh, behind this league a lot of big nba stars are investing heavily in esports and are rumored to be investing heavily in overwatch because they think it's going to be the next big esport and i'm going to put the trailer in the show notes for this as well go watch it it's very interesting uh like i said most leagues that have tried this in the past have failed so i want to be optimistic because i love overwatch but i don't know if it's going to do very well um but i think it's interesting to look at how different companies and different games try to elevate esports into the mainstream and it's something that like i said i think nintendo could do it because they have this really successful game and if they maybe beef up the game a little tiny bit they could really be onto something 
Is that the time to talk about the the actual Switch Nintendo now? Switch? Yes. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. This is still follow up. Okay. So they... I know. I know. We, don't forget. We mentioned that today we had shit on a follow up. It's our safe space here. Yeah. So okay. Let's take the time. Nintendo Switch. There's going to be a press conference with most of the pre-launch details for the Switch revealed on January 12th. This, after Christmas. Yeah, after Christmas. After Christmas. But they, I mean, you don't want to hype something before Christmas and then not sell it until after Christmas. Like, I, I think it's smart to just put the teaser out there. Be- well, I don't think it's smart to release it after Christmas. Don't get me wrong. But I think that if you're going to release after Christmas, it's smart to put the teaser before Christmas and then actually release the significant details after Christmas so that people aren't all excited for it beforehand. Um, the important part about this whole thing about the press conference that I won't be invited to is the January 14th and 15th will be a Nintendo Switch demo event at Tokyo Big Site open to the public. And guess who's in Japan during that period? It's me. So I will try to go and... No, 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 no. I think you need to correct the statement. I will go and I Thank will you. play the Nintendo Switch and report my impressions on my on our return and for season three. picture and make me jealous. I don't and... know if pictures are going to be allowed because a lot of these events, pictures are not allowed. But if I'm oh. allowed, I will take some. And if not, at least you'll share your experience with me and then I'll be jealous. And I'm sure Tony will be too. Yep. Okay, next up. Oh, I- oh, is that the time we need to talk about magic stuff? Magic stuff? You mean the Apple W1 chip? Yes. Because here I'm quoting a word. The first thing you did when you received your headphones and you tried it, you said, this thing is fucking magical. Okay, well, before we get there, uh, I, I do have, a, well, I guess it's sort of related to the episode. These notes were written before I actually knew what the topic of this week's episode was. Um, but uh, shortly after we recorded our last episode, but before the episode came out, there was a Mac Pro event. And that is basically what we're going to be talking about, sort of, this episode. But the day before that event, they announced that AirPods have been delayed and they aren't going to be hitting slash haven't hit their original October launch window. Um, and I think that that was something we wanted to mention because it ties into the W1 chip. I did, however, manage to grab a pair of Beat Solo 3 wireless headphones last week. And the reason I got these headphones, I've, I keep have feeling like I have to justify it because I think Beats has a bad track record. And I mean, uh, I would agree with that because I would have said the same thing. Um, but I got a gift card for recycling my iPhone 6 via Apple's recycling program. And I looked at the Apple Store and I realized I owned everything in the Apple Store except for fancy watch bands and these headphones. So I said, like, well, fuck it. I'll just get the fancy headphones. And that's what I did. And the main tipping point, because I was going back and forth between either getting an Hermes band for my watch or getting the headphones, was my wired headphones that I was using for DJ stuff died, like, on the plane back from Japan last time. And I've never replaced them since then. So I was going to have to buy new wired headphones anyway. And I decided, well, if I use the gift card credit, the Solo 3s are wireless headphones with a bunch of other cool things uh, that I'm going to mention shortly that are going to cost me less than the wired headphones I would have bought anyway. So I might as well just take the chance. So there are lots of things to like about the Solo 3s on paper. Uh, 40 hours of battery life, 
It can be used with a cable if the battery dies out or with non-Bluetooth-enabled devices, which I think is a huge deal that not enough Bluetooth headphones use. Because I think, like, that should be the fallback. You shouldn't have to lug around, like, the shitty pair of lightning ear pods with your stuff uh, in case your Bluetooth headphones die with the iPhone 7. You should just be able to use it with a cable. Although, technically, this does not actually fix the lightning issue but if you have the lightning to headphone jack adapter you can use it with that okay because the fallback is the 3.5 millimeter jack yes and i'm using it right now on my macbook for a reason we'll discuss in a little bit um and if i was going to buy wireless earbuds i would have had to buy wired headphones for dj purposes anyway because i don't use the headphones through the computer i use it through my dj controller because there's a sound card in there so this allows me to basically consolidate both those headsets into one product that I can use in all scenarios. And I was a little bit worried about the Beats audio profile. Like that is my main reason why I wasn't getting those headphones at full price because well, yeah, and I'm super surprised what will be your thoughts about it because I personally own a pair of Beats headphones which I end up switching with the current shirt set that I have on my head with the Tony because for my usage, I realized that the beats were not that great. They are somewhat okay if your main usage of your headphone is to listen to music. But for me, since I listen to a lot of voice-only uh, stuff like podcasts, the beats headphones, it's the solo HD that I have, uh, were not that great. But what I was happy to do was to buy them at discount when I used to work at a cell phone shop because we were able to get those at discount. Like, I think I got them half price. So for the price I paid for those Beats, they were good, but I wouldn't have paid the full price on them for the uh, fear that I have when I got them. Yeah, like, I think these are $300 headphones full price sounds like it if i recall correctly yeah 350 because canadian dollar but uh yeah maybe Uh, i think they're 330 canadian Mm. or something like that but anyway i think it's 300 us dollars uh is the full price which is like not insignificant um but yeah so i was worried about the audio profile um everyone knows that there's a big reputation that beats have immensely boosted bass and i mean like people actually enjoy that in general uh which i don't fully understand but i decided like if uh, it's not that expensive after the gift card so i might as well just give it a shot um so my actual impressions battery life numbers live up to the hype i can go a week of daily all day usage with these things before having to charge them so that's impressive it is really impressive um, and by the way, for real time follow up, you're right. It's uh, three thirty Canadian dollars. I thought so. Uh, these are really comfortable to wear, except the one exception I ha- I have to that is they're comfortable, except for prolonged periods of time, they sort of squish your face in. Um, but otherwise, for everything else, like they are comfortable. Um, Set up process. Okay, yeah. So you mentioned that I texted you like the second I got my headphones and I said, oh my fucking God, this pairing thing is magic. Because it is. Uh, you literally just put the headphones next to your phone, the thing pops up, you press the button, and you're done. And like, Bluetooth is not supposed to be this easy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, I have had a lot of pain with other Bluetooth devices, and this worked out of the box, and it was amazing. On top of that, pairing sync across all your iCloud account devices works out of the box asterisk. What's the asterisk? It's really unreliable on the Mac. <laughs> oh, now I understand what you meant by this is why I'm using that. it right now through the cable is I literally could not get my headphones to show up for the 15 minutes I was setting up and I decided to just say fuck it I'll use the cable uh, which gives me a chance to actually try the cable because I didn't know I, I hadn't used it up until now and I mean it sounds the same as any other uh, like if I was using it wirelessly um, but yeah, so the only pairing issues I have had have been on the Mac, which I mean, this is the episode about the state of the Mac, so you'll hear more about that later, but, uh, there is another weird hiccup on the Mac and that is about the, like when you actually get it to show up in the system, which is most of the time, but not now, I guess, uh, you can use the headset as a mic because you can actually invoke Siri by double pressing the the Beats logo on your headphones and you can use it just to talk on the phone and stuff. Um if you use it wirelessly as a microphone and you have audio playing in the background, it actually flips the audio profile that's being used and then your music quality goes to complete shit because it's using the phone profile and not the music profile ish. Like that, that's how I'm explaining it because that's what it sounds like to me, but I don't know the technical explanation. Um, but it sounds like they're switching like Bluetooth audio profiles. Yeah. Huh. And the problem with that is that once you're done using the mic, it doesn't flip back on the Mac. You have to manually go change your audio source back to the headphones for it to go like, Oh, I'm done using the mic. I guess I'll change audio profiles now. So I was listening to music and then just decided to like, launch Skype or something and Skype tried to invoke the mic or something and then like all my audio went to shit and I was like what and then I quit Skype I redid the binding thing and then I went to the sound control panel and when you click on the in the sound control panel to go to the input tab the input tab also like probes the mic and then it flips the audio profile when you do that so basically anytime you do anything on the Mac that tries to use it tries to identify the Beat Solo 3s as a microphone, it flips the audio profile, and then you need to go set it back, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, and I have not found this to be the case on iOS. Um, of course, it's the Mac. Um, have you tried uh, the, uh, the feature where if you were listening to something on your iPhone and then you start to play a video on your iPad, then it switched kind of automatically? This, as have far you- as I know, does not actually exist. I thought they did mention that though. I I, I, I want that in the- I wanted to believe that that's the case, and maybe this is like what the AirPods are delayed for. I don't know, but that feature I I know that it was mentioned in the event, and I don't know if it's sort of like a no man's sky promise where it's something that they think is a scenario that people will relate to, but in practice is not something that's actually implemented. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh. Time will tell, I guess. Maybe when the AirPods ship, there'll be a software update that magically enables this stuff. But as far as I can tell, this does not happen. What I have noticed is when I turn on the headphones, it will pair to the first powered on device that it finds. Um, so, uh, if I only have my phone turned on, it'll pair onto the phone. If 
I only have my, well, not on, but like the screen is on. If the phone screen is on, it'll pair to the phone. If the iPad screen is on, it'll pair to the iPad. I think that's really neat touch. Um, but otherwise, that feature I don't think actually exists or is coming. No, and I think you're right. It says automatic setup, seamless switching on the Apple website. They said that they are simultaneously connected to your iPhone, Apple watches. And, oh, it says, and the sound switches instantly between devices. But like, oh. where, where are you checking this? On the AirPods page or on? Yes, but at the, oh, here's the caveat. They say that this, it's, it, the sound switches instantly between the iPhone and the Apple Watch. Because they say, oh. want to listen to the, your Mac or iPad? Just choose the AirPod on those devices. And there's uh, a little one. I see. Oh, well, yes. I'll give that a shot after this episode. I haven't actually listened to anything on my Apple Watch because right now there is no music on my phone because Apple uh, iTunes won't sync music to my phone for some reason. So I don't actually have music on my phone. And if there's no music on my phone, there's no music on my Apple Watch. Oh, fair indeed. It's but a yeah, feature. So I think they kind of maybe oversold it a bit in the event, just saying that. Or maybe I misunderstood the event. But uh, still... Uh, I think maybe automatic uh, switching for uh, devices might be a bit too much magic uh, for them for now. Yep. Uh, latency is something that I want to touch about because Bluetooth, uh, I mean, like, I am a DJ. I like playing music games. Latency is sort of, sort of screws up all that stuff. So how does this latency fare? Uh, in general, I compared them to, like, previous uh, Bluetooth headphones that we've had lying around the house. Uh, it's about a third to a quarter what they were on previous Bluetooth earbuds, which is a huge improvement. And wow. it's still noticeable, but barely. And I think um, in certain cases, you could actually use it to DJ. So if you're using Tractor DJ, which is very forgiving in the timing that you can use, you might actually be able to spin a set wirelessly with this thing. Hmm, super interesting. And where did you realize that there was still some kind of delay, latency? Is that really like if you pay super attention to a video and you see that the lips of people... Oh, well, actually, I should should qualify this. So the latency, as I'm mentioning it, is literally just in real-time applications. Um, If you're watching audio or video, there is no latency because the OS already compensates for it. It's part of the media frameworks of the operating system. If you have pre-recorded or live-streamed media that is played through the system APIs, there is automatic latency compensation, and effectively to the eye, there is no latency. The problem is, of course, if you're dealing with real-time applications such as DJ software or music games, where you can't... Well, maybe music games would actually work. I'm not sure. Uh, It depends on the frameworks they're using. But for DJ software in particular, the issue is you need to respond to the like the audio you're hearing is laggy because like audio latency doesn't matter if there's no visual to go with it to a certain degree like fair like if you're listening to music you don't actually care that it's 0.5 seconds behind because you're you're not lining up the timing to anything whereas in dj software it does actually matter because the actions you are doing it are played on top of the actual (laughs) track that is playing on the device and not what you're hearing in your headphones which is the issue here Um, so that's where I noticed it because it's the application that I thought where it would be the most obvious. And like, yeah, 
you can tell it's there, but you can also tell that maybe five years from now, there won't be latency anymore, and you would be able to DJ an entire set entirely on these headphones if the technology gets good enough. We're the really, minute, really oh. close to what we need for that, and I think that's great. And like I said, like there are applications you can use that have more forgiving timings for these things because they're meant more for beginners to use, like Tractor DJ. And if you use that application, like since there is a wider window for when you can tap the thing and it will automatically correct the timing to do the right thing, there's no problem. Yeah, the main reason why I'm asking is, first of all, are you using the YouTube application? Yes. On, and you ne- didn't see any latency? No latency at all. Okay. Because my main experience with my uh, Logitech EU, e, UE Boom? Yes, sorry. The UE Boom is... That when I use YouTube, I see the latency. Like you see that there's maybe a couple of milliseconds of delay between the audio and what people say. And obviously, if I listen to a podcast or if I listen to music, I don't see any latency because there's no video on it. So right. It goes back to you what you just said. So I was wondering if that was better, and you seem to say that it is. One thing I haven't tried is I have heard that Google Chrome does not pl- uh, Google Chrome on the Mac does not play through uh AV Foundation which is the API that compensates for latency so that when you're watching video it actually syncs up. So I assume if you watch YouTube on Google Chrome on the Mac it is not synced. And I have heard many complaints of that in the past for other Bluetooth headsets. I don't know if this one is close enough that it you can't tell. Um, but I would imagine that it isn't because if it's sort of noticeable for DJ software, it's probably noticeable for video. Um, but at least it would be like a third to a quarter what the lag is on other headsets, which is better. Good. Um, so yeah, last point on this is of course the bass boosted audio profile. What did I do about it? Well, first of all, I don't know if they changed the audio profile or if my memory of the audio profile was bad or if the Beats headsets I used in the past were just weird because I I mostly listen to Beats headsets in Apple stores and electronic stores. And what I've learned over the years is that demo units for headphones are often not representative of what the actual experience is when you buy the headphones because they are sitting there getting abused by constant playback and people messing with them for months and months and months at a time. And I remember them being much, much more bass boosted than this actually is. And I think it's still within the realm of tasteful audio if you uh, buy Beats Solo 3 headphones. I prefer, like, I, I'm used to buying uh, Sony MDR V6s, which are uh, monitor headphones, which try to reproduce the sound as accurately as possible. And those are, like, the least opinionated headphones you can buy because they are literally trying to go for sound accuracy because that is what monitor headphones are made for. These are not monitor headphones. These are trying to play to what people like music to sound like. And I can understand that certain people prefer this uh, I don't prefer it, but it's still listenable in the worst case. Um, which is not necessarily something you want to say about a $300 pair of headphones. However, it can largely be negated by equalizer presets in the iOS music app. So if you go to the settings app, then music, you can set an equalizer preset that is used on all your tracks. And I believe this is still the case that you can go to individual tracks in iTunes and 
go go on get info and set a specific EQ preset per track if you want to, if you're that anal. Um, but I have found the bass reducer or treble booster does the job and mostly negates the super boosted bass that I find the most offensive. And I think that I'm still very satisfied with my purchase knowing all of this. Like, I know that the EQ presets, of course, only take effect in the iOS music app, which means that when I go to my DJ software, I'm not going to have the same thing. But to that point, when I'm using DJ software, usually I'm trying to optimize the sound for speakers and monitor speakers and not necessarily what I hear in my headphones. And I go more by feel where I know where certain notches on the sliders or uh, on the knobs are that I'm going to like go to the right thing for what is the speaker setup in quotes. So it doesn't really play that much into my ability to DJ correctly, if you know what I mean. Um, so it's not that bad. And I'm very satisfied with these headphones. I've been loving them very much uh, for the last week. And I think aside from the hiccup earlier before recording where they wouldn't show up on the Mac for some reason, I've had a pretty much a flawless experience with these, which is not something I can say for traditional Bluetooth headphones. So these are recommended. Uh, if you're looking for a pair, go to the Apple store and pick up Beat Solo 3 wireless headphones. Yeah, and, I, and it's super surprising to me that... Beats is able to take advantage of that technology way before Apple. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the segment regarding those uh, Solo 3 headphones, the AirPod has been delayed even more. They were supposed to be released at max, uh, most like 10, 10 days ago. Uh, like, And now they are kind of missing in action. Apple said that they were delayed, but we don't know when they're coming. Rumor says that they might be coming next week. Uh, Mac Rumors is reporting that some European reseller may, is seeing them and say that, oh no, no, uh, yes, people were saying that maybe January 2017, but no, no, it's, uh, around the next week, like at the end of next week, like in about a week exactly. And we're recording this episode on November the 10th. So people say, oh, it will be available in the 17th. So and it should be able to be bought by customer around like next Friday. Uh, and. I'm waiting for the AirPods to arrive to experience that, but I didn't have that negative uh, experience with Bluetooth that much. Like, I did mention the uh, qualities of this Bluetooth speaker that I got, the Logitech UE Boom, and I think from all of the reviews I've seen about Bluetooth speakers, it's always in the top. So and even in uh, the top for connectivity purposes, and it's been like super reliable. When I've started to see issues, either firmware upgrade were there to fix them, or it was just like a iOS beta issue. So uh, yes, it's a pain in the butt to pair, but and if they are able to fix that issue and make it even better to bear, uh, that would be a major win for me. Cool. Let's move on to the final item in follow-up, which, surprise, is not actually follow-up. It is a recommendation. Everyone should go out and buy Titanfall 2 because it is an awesome game and it has sold like shit and I am ashamed of gamers for not buying it and you should go buy it because it's awesome. So yeah, go buy Titanfall 2. Okay, I think we are officially done with follow-up. 40 minutes after starting the episode? Yeah, like 47 minutes, something like that. Yeah. 
But that's okay. That's what we expected today. We and are now will talk about uh, the states of the Mac in 2016. It's dead. Oh, come on. Come on. And all of this is in relation with, like Yannick mentioned, the Mac event that we got uh, recently. But before we go uh, dive into this event, uh, we'd like to go back into our uh, memory for a sec and... Would you be able to name which Mac got updated in 2016? MacBook, MacBook Pro. Maybe the I- iMac? No, that's right. I think this year, Apple only updated their some of their laptop and like ignoring the newly not released released MacBook Pro. Uh, only the MacBook has been updated because the last update was the iMac and it was last fall. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if they had revited it. Wait, when was the the 5K iMac came out last year? But didn't the 4K come out this year? I don't remember. Mm, as far as I remember, the the I will look this up. They got released at the same time as the second revision of the 5K last October. And I'm not sure if it's October or November, but it's last fall. And the only we the only update yeah, we've was seen last before. Fall. Okay, good. The only update we've seen uh, in 2016 before the Mac event was the MacBook with one port, the kind of future of the MacBook. And taking into consideration that most of the Mac were not even that much updated in uh, 2015, like Nick mentioned, we got at the end of the year uh, a couple of updates in the iMac. Uh, We got uh, MacBook Pro CPU revisions, and that's probably, yes, that's mostly it. No Mac Mini, no Mac Pro, no update to the MacBook Cares, or like just small CPU revision. People, and mostly like Apple enthusiasts, were waiting for new machines. And they've been waiting for at least a year. So remembering all of that context, the November event was met with mixed feeling and a bunch <laughs> of criticism. And That's putting it lightly. Yes, you're right. And There are two subjects this week that I'm sick and tired of hearing about. One of them is the MacBooks, and the other is the U.S. election. <laughs> yes, and we decided to talk about only one of them yes. for obvious reasons. Yeah. But um, I think what has surprised me the most about this event is, yes, we'll go into some details about the new MacBook Pro, but it's the general backlash that this device have seen like i started to follow like apple and the mac like i would say maybe nearly 10 years ago so i'm pretty recent to apple stuff and it feels to me that it was one of the big event in the last five years where we got it got so much backlash from uh apple enthusiasts let's just say and if we try to and that's what I want to try to do tonight is ignoring all of that. Ba- not ignoring, but let's try to find what's the reason behind it and maybe try to not justify it, but better understand the approach and at the same time, time to understand what is the state of the Mac in 2016 and what's why it got so much backlash and not explain all of this, but just like think and maybe give our own opinion about it. So in the Apple event, uh, Apple announced two things, uh, three things. Uh, two of them were d- 
the new MacBook Pros. And the third one was unrelated to the Mac was the new uh, Apple TV app, which I don't want to talk <laughs> tonight. Uh, nobody cares about it. It's what? US only. <laughs> I don't care about it. Uh, no, now I do care about it, but you know what? I don't want to talk to you about it tonight. You're just mad because literally five minutes before Tim Cook said, let's talk about Apple TV, I said, this is an Apple TV event. It's not a Mac event. There's not going to be any Macs announced. And then he said, Apple TV. And then you were like, shit. Yeah. No, the, the main, okay. You want me to know why I'm mad? The main reason why I'm mad is because I would like to use this application and it's not available in Canada. <laughs> But then the reason why it's not available in Canada is because most of the channels application are not that great or non-existent. Like this week, Bell, which is my ISP and TV provider, released their own Apple TV app and it's surprisingly good. It could replace completely my PVR that they provide me to use TV. Like it has live TV, it has the guide feature, so uh, you can see all of the TV shows you have in your account. You also have the on-demand feature and you can also either program or watch your recorded show. So it's pretty typical feature of a PVR on the Apple TV and it, the app is done pretty well. And to be honest, um, these days I've been using the Apple TV app Bell application more than my PVR just to say how good it is. So yes, the reason why I'm mad and I don't want to talk about it is I want to see the TV app to be supported in Canada to kind of use some of my TV provider stuff, but it won't come. So, yes. Anything to, now that we asked me to go on this subject, anything you want to add on the TV thought app? No, I've never actually cared about the TV app. I just wanted to troll you. That's what I thought. <laughs> So now the real topic of this. So they announced a new MacBook Pro. And as you may know, it's with the one with the new touch bar. And as a typical Apple's fashion, it's thinner, lighter, faster, has the same battery life. And it is the new way of life about laptops in general. So it got the latest CPU, not the latest, but got the... Sky, yes, it got the Skylake CPUs, uh, it got the GPU updates, it got a new way, a new input method, which is the touch bar, which replaced the row keys. And the main pitching point that people are talking about is that the only ports it has are USB-C devices. Is that really the main pitching? Because that's not what I'm seeing. Maybe not the main, but I think... If we were to say the top two things is the top three thing is USB-C all the things where like and including that is where is my export that they removed. Yeah. The second thing is where are the other no that the second thing is why make it lighter if I want a faster computer or why make it why make it lighter because I need X. Yeah. And the third one is where are the other updated iMacs? Or Macs in general. Actually, I thought the third point specifically for the MacBooks was why can't I have more than 16 gigabytes of RAM? Which I think is, uh, which is in point number two is why can I get 16 gig of RAM because you wanted to make it lighter? Like why is that to be, why is it lighter if I cannot get more than 16 gig of RAM? Like it's all included is why is it not faster? Why is it not, it doesn't have 
better GPU capabilities because it's well, okay. like thinner. And Do you want the easy answer to this question? You know what? I don't think there is easy, an easy answer. I, I think there's that... a very easy answer to this. Okay. Let's hear your easy answer on that. Then. The reason people are pissed about all of these things is that a lot of them use MacBook Pros as desktop replacements. And maybe if Apple made desktop computers that were relevant, then those desktop computers could actually address the issues that the laptops, which are too thin to do XYZ, can't. Because desktop computers are significantly less constrained than laptops are. Now, yes, the easy point to make is like, look at the iMac. It's like this, like, hair thin thing with a computer in it and also a display. Like, yes, a- Apple loves to go in that direction and have thin everything. And we can argue about whether or not it is the good thing to do. Uh, I agree. But. I think you're still less constrained with what you can do on an iMac or in a Mac Pro. Rip the Mac Pro. Uh, And if they actually revise those things, maybe we would have an actual answer to those people, which is, well, since you're using your MacBook Pro primarily as a desktop replacement anyway, and you're complaining about the limitations on a portable device, then maybe this non-portable device, which is capable of fulfilling the role of a desktop computer because it is a desktop computer and not a desktop replacement laptop is the thing that is good for your needs. And I think that a lot of the people, like a significant chunk of the people who are complaining are buying MacBook Pros because the MacBook Pro is the only professional computer in the Apple lineup that gets regular updates anymore. No, and I totally understand your point. But I think my counter-argument on that is, let's go back, let's say, two or three years ago, when all of the lineup got updated frequently and those same people were making the conscious decision of getting a laptop which is considered a quote-unquote pro laptop for all of these advantages yes i want to use it as my desktop computer but for the 10 times per year that i need to move my laptop or work from home work remotely i'm super excited to have a workforce a a super powerful machine that can fit in my backpack and then i can travel with like those people are making a conscious decision and saying in most cases my desktop is a laptop which is which is form its form factor is not optimized to be like super powerful super graphics card giant memory space on the the logic board to have like a a shit ton of RAM. And that was that's what surprised me the most about that is two or three years ago, when the iMac was refreshed frequently, those people would buy a MacBook Pro, even if the iMac was faster and not bitch about the fact that you can get more RAM in an iMac. But I, now, I think that for many years now, the iMac has been the best value in the Apple lineup. Like, hands oh, down. Oh, I can see why. Like, Relative to what you would pay for a comparable laptop, I think it's pretty much... I think it's cheaper? I'm not sure. I haven't looked Mm. recently. Yeah, maybe with the newly announced MacBook Pro, you're right. Because another point of containment is they got a price raise. Yeah. Because of the new touch bar. Well, not Uh, just because of the touch bar. Like, everything got a price raise anyway. Fair. Fair. (laughs) But they've decided, and 
why I said because of the trash bars. I meant more because of the new design. Yeah. Like, part yeah. of the design got a price raise. And, but still, like, my point saying that three years ago, when you got an iMac that was updated, a Mac Pro that was newly announced, people were still making the same decision saying, for my needs, I'm want to trade off a bit of performance and flexibility in the type of hardware that Apple is using because they didn't change the lineup of like LP RAM and like more mobile focus CPUs in the last three years. Yes, they didn't do that much update in the last three years, but they're still using the same lineup of components. Just those components got updated with the newer Intel technology. And they were making this decision saying, I need a laptop with a screen because I want this trade-off. And now today, in my opinion, we got a better laptop to those needs, those people that have these needs that my laptop is my main computer. It's not, I, and I made the trade-off of saying, yes, it's not the best, most powerful, fastest Mac available, but it is one that is fast enough, powerful enough, and then I can put it in my bag. And yes, in most cases, it is on a, it is on a dock or a stand and it's connected to a 5k monitor now that is available and that's okay. So yeah. And if we look at the updates per se, those updates make total sense with what we've got like six months ago and a year ago. Like they are a continuation and yes, uh, they are in line with the future. Like USB-C is big. Um, I have more point about USB-C and the current situation yeah. it, uh, later on but the idea of saying that Apple is using a standard port to do their not proprietary but there are more proprietary NES protocols that are still ma- that still makes it compatible with other devices and other uh, peripherals is mind-boggling to me like you'll have a laptop or hopefully in the future a Mac lineup of computers that will have ports and most all of them will have ports that are standard hopefully throughout the Mac lineup and throughout most modern computers that you can buy today. And I think it will help for the adoption of those new technologies. It will hopefully speed up the adoption of those new technology. Um, like right now, I'm talking to you with a iMac that is super old. Yeah. But if I want to have fast external storage, and my, what I mean by fast is I'm forced to use FireWire 800. And as far as I remember, FireWire 800 was not that much popular and supported by external peripherals. It was a super pain in the butt to find a good, good peripherals that could use the power it has while still having options like in most cases you had either the super super expensive option or somewhat expensive option and both of them had trade-offs that you didn't want well i I think the parallel to make here is that like for usb-c the macbook is what the imac did to usb back in the day in 1998 and the macbook pro is what the power mac g3 blue and white was to that where it's not until those machines came out that people really started taking USB seriously, even though USB wasn't even like an Apple technology. It wasn't, well, I guess it's technically a standards body that invented it. But like the iMac really accelerated the pickup of USB originally. And then people were like, 
oh my god, everything is USB now. And now, like, ironically, this is what they're bitching about is like, now I'm not able to use my USB peripherals anywhere. I need to get USB-C peripherals or get dongles and shit. Um, and I think they're just sort of repeating the same thing, except the connector is different this time. Um, and I think what's really amazing about this thing is like when the iMac came out and it had the USB port, um, it still had a bunch of other ports on it. It didn't have as many ports as like even the MacBook Pro that we're replacing now. Like it didn't have that many ports, but USB was just a subset of the ports. Now these computers are coming out and every single port on them is USB-C. And I think that that is, well, it's restricting if you were used to plugging things directly into your laptop or into your computer, depending on what device you're using. But it's freeing because now all of those ports can be whatever they need, you need them to be in the moment. So if you actually, well, I don't know how much this is possible with the state of, uh, Thunderbolt 3 controllers or whatever, but let's say you need like three HDMI outputs at once. Technically, there is nothing on the MacBook Pro aside from maybe what the controllers are capable of outputting that prevents you from using three of those ports for HDMI outputs, whereas you will never buy a MacBook Pro that has three hardwired HDMI ports in it. That is the point I'm trying to make, not that it's actually possible to output three HDMIs at once. Um, um, by the way, it is possible. It, it could be, yeah, I don't know. Because like a good example of what you said is... The 15-inch MacBook Pro, the new one that is about to be shipped, has two Thunderbolt 3 controller with, and each controller can have two 4K display each. They can drive, they have the bandwidth to drive two 4K display each. And you could decide to maybe drive something else with the bandwidth for the other one. But like Nick is about to say, it's like, you can plug in four monitors plus the internal one and the computer still works. Yeah. And you have the flexibility to decide, oh, I want three plus Ethernet or I want two plus either a USB port and either um, Thunderbolt 3 dock that includes like audio, uh, optical audio, like 30, uh, 3.5 millimeter jack, a couple of USB A 3.0 ports. Um, like I think what, gigabit Ethernet, like you have the flexibility to do that. I think what got lost in the presentation is I think at a certain point, and I'm not entirely sure of this, but I think at a point, uh, Phil Schiller said that this is the most expansible Mac ever, maybe MacBook ever. And I agree with that definition. Like given the IO that is in this machine and the ports that are there, not only is it the most expensive, but you have the most freedom of what you can do with that I.O. that you could on any other Mac. And I think that that makes that Mac a fantastic Mac. The part where people, I think, are in disagreement about it is they don't want to use dongles to get that expansibility. And I think, like, in the future, we won't have dongles because we'll have all new peripherals that are built specifically for USB-C. But in the meantime, yes, it's a transitional period and we have dongles to use and it's going to suck. But it doesn't reduce the fact that this is the most expensive MacBook ever and that that is very exciting for people who are looking into the future. Yeah, and you know, something I don't understand is those same people were the one raving about the uh, Thunderbolt display that I personally have at work because it's so magic. You have two cables. One <laughs> when for you don't all... nudge the cable. <laughs> Yes, you have two cables, one for everything and for every input uh, devices, and the other one is for power. And in a way, this Thunderbolt 
to monitor is a thousand dollar dongle and people were like raving about it that's the best thing since sliced bread and now apple is saying yes we have some adapters some dongles some that are provided by third party showing that you know what not only apple is behind usb-c belkin is and other pro uh, other company will be and yes it's a bit sad because right now those uh, devices that those docks that we've seen with Thunderbolt 2 are not available yet. Well, I think your point about the Thunderbolt display sort of points out what you were saying earlier about like people who use their computers as desktop replacements. Like, It's no secret that traditionally the MacBook Pro and the iMac have sort of shared very similar hardware uh, paths. Like when one gets updated, the other tends to get updated and they're sort of in sync for what kind of hardware they have with the iMac sort of coming out a bit more on top because it doesn't have the power requirements the mobile hardware does. But if you had one of those displays with two cables, you basically just upgraded yourself to an iMac with the same sort of functionality and IO that an iMac has just by plugging in a cable. And in that way, the compromises of the mobile device were so minor back in those days that it was really like if you bought an iMac that you could take with you and just transform it into a desktop iMac by plugging it into the monitor when you get to work. Now, the gap between the MacBook Pro and what you can get out of an iMac, well, not the current iMacs, but like the imaginary iMac upgrade that is going to come in the spring. The gap between those machines is different, assuming that the iMac that comes out in spring is capable of having more than 16 gigabytes of RAM. You see what I mean? No, I see what you mean. And And the other thing is, I'm not entirely convinced that this is going to be any better on the iMac, because if the iMac comes out and it has four USB-C ports and nothing else, people are still going to be pissed that they have to use dongles for everything. Oh, yeah, and I think that's... If we go to... If we now move this discussion a bit to the uh, the fact that Apple is no longer making displays and LG is, um, I'm fine with the the LG display. It's sad because let's be honest, the Thunderbolt display, its design was great. It looks good, and the LG display doesn't look good. I th- I think the main consensus on the Thunderbolt display is that it was very beautiful, but it was also very unreliable. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Like, I can tell you that these days it takes me at least two minutes to wake up my Mac. Like, first thing, laptop is closed. It's not in collapsion mode. Like, it's completely closed. Plug in power, plug in Thunderbolt 2, nothing happens. Like, smash the keyboard, smash the mouse, nothing happens. And then, at some point, smash the keyboard again, smash the mouse. Oh, okay, okay, I see the LCD starts up, something happens, and then bam, screen is on. But it takes at least a minute or two per day. And it never used to do that. And I'm sure in a week or two, it will wake up perfectly fine. And then maybe in three or four months, it will come back. And I don't know why. And that's that. Or USB, sometimes you try to use a keyboard, doesn't work. You have to unplug it from your laptop, unplug all of the USB cables from it, replug your to your replug it to your MacBook, plug all of the USB cables back, and then... If you're lucky, it works. Yeah. And if you're unlucky, you need to do it again. And if it doesn't work after a third time, you need to unplug it completely from power and hopefully it should work. And I really have been to that third step, <laughs> but it did happen at least once. Wow. 
So on one side, what I think is happening is people is just like kind of romanticizing Apple display a bit too much because yes, as a non-retina display, the Thunderbolt 2 dis- uh, monitor is great. We wish it was retina. We have ports on ba- uh, in the back of it. I personally feel that it's missing a 2.5 millimeter jack because I would leave s- headphones always plugged in and now I need to plug them onto my uh, laptop. But that's my personally... Wireless headphones, my- man. Yes, you're, you do have a point. You do have a point. But my main three gripes is it's an unreliability. And the second one is it's just missing a 3.5 millimeter jack. And I see what you meant by the Thunderbolt 2 monitor is kind of the iMac equivalent to your laptop. And if it had that port, it would be completely the same thing for me. I wouldn't see any difference between an iMac and a Thunderbolt display plus laptop. No difference. They look the same. Not, they are not really the same, but yeah. they look the same to me. They have the, mostly the same design. There's no difference. I'm sure you can put somebody that's used to computers and they say like, who's the real computer? Who's the real, like, which one is the real computer? Which one is the monitor? And they won't be able to tell you which one it is. And if we contrast that with the LG monitor, and it's good, like, it has kind of the same era, but it still goes back to the future a bit because the only ports you have on it, it's not a real dock like the way that the Thunderbolt is. Because the Thunderbolt, you have USB, you have uh, Ethernet. This one is only USB-C on again. And it f- creates this frustration where you just mentioned people will need dongle to use it proper- properly. But it's dongles that you plug into your workstation. Like it's not dongles you need to wor- uh, travel with. It's just like it's behind the monitor, you don't see them, and that's it. Yep. Well, well, well. That's mainly what I wanted to talk about for the Mac event and the state of the Mac. Um, but we haven't really touched on like the state of the Mac part. I think we touched a little w- bit on the Mac books, but like the Mac as a whole, the platform. I mean, we have all sort of listened to podcasts over the last two weeks, and this is sort of why I'm sick of hearing about it. But, like, people are arguing, does Apple care about the Mac? Does Apple care about the desktop Mac in particular? Because the desktop Mac is sort of, right now, the most neglected thing in the lineup. Um, yeah, and I just before we continue, I think I just misspoke a bit. I want to say the state of the MacBook. Oh, okay. Because I was about to start my bit of conclusion, which is, what is the state of the Mac right now? And... What we hear, and you're right, what we heard in all of the podcasts in the last week after the event is it feels that the stake of the Mac is disproportionately oriented in mobile. Yeah. Because if we take a look at the current last 12 to 18 months, the Mac lineup, the devices that gets the more, the most love from Apple are the most well, kind of... The only thing that has been updated on the desktop for 12 to 18 months is the iMac. Oh, totally. <laughs> Like, totally. that's, that's the not only even a thing. hard question. It's like, you just know it in your head. Like, of course, it's only the iMac. And in those 12 to 18 months, what happened on a laptop and on the mobile devices is we got a glimpse of what would be the future of, like, thin laptops and, like, of, like, super... At this point, it's not laptop. It's just, like, mobile computers. We have the MacBook that is kind of what I think all of the laptops will be in 12 to 18 months. 
and it had been released in spring 2015. And now we see those MacBook Pros, um, whether it's the one without the touch bar, the one with it, that are super close as a like light and thin design as the like last generation MacBook Air were. So they are like going into that same logic. They say like the laptop market for the Mac is where most people is. And that's maybe why Apple is focusing it on it right now. Because I don't know, I haven't seen any numbers and I think nobody has seen any. But it feels to me that the reason why they're updating those first is because they see that the Mac market is the Mac laptop market. It's not a Mac desktop market anymore. Yes, there are people that will buy the Macs desktop. But as a whole and as if you include not only like Apple fans and you start to include mainstream Mac market, you see that the, I would say, I would think that the ratio of people that are buying Mac laptops is maybe twice or thrice as much as people that are buying Mac desktops. When are we going to see our Macs? <laughs> I know you, I, I know you are half trolling because it, you know, I, it I'm not me actually when you say trolling. I, I'm but, not actually trolling. I think sincerely, I think if Apple wanted to do it, they could do it next year and i think the smartest way to do it is first of all like the one port macbook is a disgrace right now it needs better hardware than what it has and i think the easiest way to give it better hardware is to just give it fucking arm processor (laughs) like it's so close if you look at the benchmarks between iphones and the macbook that it's not even like worth the difference for the for the Intel processor, just give it an ARM processor already. If you're going to go low spec for those pro- uh, those computers, just give it a fucking ARM processor. I don't care. Same deal for the Mac Mini. I think the Mac Mini is really overdue to be updated, and I think a lot of people who love Mac Minis would agree with me. However, I don't think they would agree with where I think the Mac Mini should go, which is make it like just like the tiniest thing, like the size of a... Let's say the size of the power charger for the for the Apple Watch or something, like make it a tiny little puck like that that has an ARM Mac inside and one USB-C port and everything else is wireless around it. Oh, well, maybe two. One for the display. And, well, I guess if the dis... Yeah, I think you don't have a choice to put two ports on it because you you need to compensate for displays that don't also ferry power through them. So you need like a yeah. power and a display, but like both USB-C. But I think if they are able to put the Thunderbolt 3 connector, they could go with one port. They could go with it, except people are going to buy displays that are not capable of necessarily providing power to the computer is what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I see your point. Like, if you want to accommodate those people, you sort of don't have a choice. Um, But yeah, like, that is something I could see them doing and then leaving the Intel stuff for MacBook Pro and Mac Pro. And iMac is sort of a weird thing because iMac in many ways is sort of the pro computer that it gets more updated more often than the MacBook, uh, the Mac Pro, which uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, iMac is sort of like right on the line where you can't tell if it's for pros or if it's for consumers. Like in the, originally it was for consumers, like obviously, but I think it's gotten so good as a pro computer that I would put it in the like, prosumer camp it's sort of like really in between and it's 
I would not want to see the iMac Go ARM personally. Like, not now. Oh, and I think to go back to your uh, to your sentiment about the iMac being more a prosumer, I think the way that the iMac lineup is designed right now is maybe the like what they are the kind of the good configuration is for consumer. And obviously, let's not talk about like spinning hardware, but I just <laughs> mentioned the flash storage only, like those cheaper flash storage option are for consumer focus and then the more you move up the more you're the more you become to enter the mac pro territory of the pro market and maybe if you want to talk a bit about the mac pro quickly (laughs) i think the best summary of the mac pro state was described by jason snell on this week's upgrade that I'll uh, gladly post in the show notes where he mentioned that is I think I'll summarize it quickly by saying that he kind of heard or he has a hunch that Apple realized that this like two GPU configuration of the new quote unquote new Mac Pro was kind of a hit or miss and the 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 reason why they are maybe taking their time with the Mac Pro is maybe to do a new redesign already and we had a redesign that could combine what the Mac Mini is. So we have a cheaper Mac Pro that is more targeted to the Mac Mini lineup. And then you have like all the way to the top, you have like super powerful Pro. Maybe we, they will come back with those two like, like calculation focused GPUs and you have two or three of them in the lineup, but then you still have a smaller version that is more consumer focused. So it it will kind of minimize, not minimize, it will shrink the Mac desktop uh, lineup into two products. You, you will have the iMac, which depending on the configuration, you'll move up the Pro uh, ladder. And then you have the Mac or the whatever they decide to name it, the Mac Tower, let's say. And you do have like more than like, five or six configuration and you do have this kind of consumer to pro leveling inside of their lineup and it would fit with the uh, the laptop mac the mac laptop you have the macbook for consumers and you have the macbook pro which even if it says pro the first models like the 13 inches maybe the small like the first 15 inch configuration is more like on the pro side but if you stay on the 13 size you have like more pro econ configuration and you also have more consumer focus actually this you... is something i think we mentioned on one of the, like the pilot episodes of the show that i think this is this was on the one we didn't release because we it, the audio was so bad we didn't want to release it but like on the very 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 first episode of this thing i'm fairly sure that we spent a portion of that show talking about how in the product lineup at that time there was so little distinction between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, aside from the Retina model, that it was very hard to know which was the right one for you because the MacBook Air was such a powerhouse for the price. Like, it was a great value. The MacBook Airs for many years have been insanely good values. And the MacBook Pro was sort of just like, unless you went on the high end, they were sort of comparable machines in the 13-inch. And I think 
the move they did with the original MacBook is they shifted the specs down, where there is a much bigger gap now between the MacBook and the MacBook Pro. And I think that no touch bar MacBook Pro that sort of fills in the need of the 13-inch Air, it's sort of like if they are saying, well, we're not sure if this gap is a good idea, so we're going to put this model here and, like, deal with it. Like, you make the choice. And I think, like, they should just make the MacBooks better, not shitty, and then that model doesn't need to exist. But, like, now it's sort of like they're embarrassed of the state of the MacBook, and they're like, well, we need to have something so that people don't have to spend, like, $1,600 to have a computer that's actually good in our lineup, so we're going to put this thing here, which is sort of an in-between model between our two things that sort of doesn't need to be here if the MacBooks were actually good computers. Oh, yeah, and I think... But, by the way, isn't that the episode that we release as a... Special? I, I, think I thought we released the other one. No, I think it's the this is the one where we discuss about, which is super funny because it is the I think it's the episode that we discuss what is our future upgrades of our personal Max. No, and I think no, the, I think it's the other one. I, I'm checking oh, okay. right now, but but still, like the fact that we had this discussion, what nearly two or three years ago? Yeah, what two years, two and a half years ago. And yeah, the episode we released uh, was episode eight, and this episode was recorded after my iMac died, which is uh, April twenty seventh, twenty fourteen. And the episode I'm thinking of was re recorded in December of twenty thirteen, I think. Okay, okay, but still, like the fact that, as I remember, at that level, we did have the same interrogation as today is kind of mind boggling to me. Yeah, and like people have pointed it out that like. People made similar complaints about the MacBook Pro when the Retina model came out. And I think those complaints when the MacBook Pro Retina were, was released were less founded than these co complaints. Because I think like the complaints that we see for the new MacBook Pro are very similar in scope to the Final Cut Pro 10 backlash. Like I think these things are very closely related. I think, like, like I, I wrote two blog posts about these MacBooks, which is sort of why I'm a little bit exhausted about talking about them. Uh, I wrote one about the backlash and how potentially uh, the Microsoft Surface Studio event was maybe a better event for creative professionals than this product was. And I don't necessarily mean to say that it's a better product, but it might just be better suited to their needs than this computer is because a lot of people are complaining like the existing MacBook Pro is better suited to my needs than this thing because now I have to carry dongles. Now I have a 16 gigabyte RAM limit. I don't actually know if the uh, previous one had a 16 gigabyte RAM limit or not. Um, uh, yes, because that's what I have at work. Okay. Um, but like people are acting like this computer is not there to suit their needs anymore because it doesn't fit into their existing workflows. And I think what the MacBook Pro and Final Cut Pro 10 did was say, well, fuck your existing workflows. We're preparing for the workflows of the future. And I think we could find ourselves in a similar situation to Final Cut Pro 10 where people decide, well, actually, fuck this MacBook Pro. I'm going to go buy a Dell or a Razer or whatever. And the MacBook takes a big hit. And I think that's the worry in the community right now is you don't want to see Final Cut Pro 10 recreate itself with like one of the big selling laptops from the Apple MacBook lineup. Hmm. Yeah, that's hmm. That's something I like. And you know what? 
unless you have something to add, I think we'll end on that. Uh, I just want to add something about USB-C because that's the other post I wrote uh, on my blog. I made a post called USB Complicated, uh, which oh, which talks. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. It talks about the issues that are implicit in USB-C because USB-C is a clusterfuck. Uh, the specification for USB-C, I'm going to summarize the article very briefly here. Uh, the specification for USB-C is just for the connector. Uh, you can use a USB-C, uh, cable and, uh, a USB-C cable has an active chip similar to lightning, which actually defines which, uh, protocol is being used on the cable, which means you can use different protocols on the cable. It does not have to be USB-C. And this fucks everything up because currently there are four, uh, what they call alternate modes, which are other protocols you can use over a USB-C cable. There's MHL, there's HDMI, there's DisplayPort, and there's Thunderbolt. Um, and there are potentially more of these. Like, technically, PCI Express directly and Ethernet are also doable as alternate modes, although they're not as widespread as the other ones. Um, so you can buy... Uh, the example in my post is you go into a store, you want to buy a new monitor for your MacBook Pro. There are monitors on the market, which like all of those protocols I named basically are capable of accommodating monitors. You can buy an MHL monitor that speaks MHL. You can buy one that speaks HDMI. You can buy one that speaks DisplayPort and you can buy one that speaks Thunderbolt 3. You have no guarantee that if that monitor is also a USB-C hub, that it can actually accommodate protocol, uh, peripherals that speak those, uh, protocols so like let's say let's say apple made the thunderbolt display and it had four usb-c ports uh well i guess technically that's lg display but lg display is sort of weird so let's just say someone makes a display it has four usb-c ports you want to plug like um a thunderbolt 3 raid into that monitor if that device doesn't support thunderbolt 3 it might not necessarily be able to pass along your Thunderbolt 3 RAID to the laptop because it's a USB-C peripheral, not a Thunderbolt 3 peripheral. And, like, there's a bunch of little complex things. Same thing for, like, if your USB-C, mon- well, your monitor with a USB-C cable speaks the HDMI alternate mode, is that capable of transferring another MHL device that you daisy-chain to that monitor to your laptop? Not necessarily. And you could buy, theoretically, like, a Thunderbolt 3 display for a uh, for like a Chromebook that has USB-C cables but it doesn't have a Thunderbolt controller so you plug the thing in there and unless it has a fallback for like HDMI or DisplayPort alternate mode you have no actually no actual way to use that monitor on a Chromebook so like there's this whole clusterfuck of device compatibility that was introduced just because in the spec for USB-C they don't force people to use USB. And this is a good thing for Apple because they can say, well, we were going to make a laptop that only had Thunderbolt uh, uh, Thunderbolt ports, but now we can get good PR by using a standard port and still use it for Thunderbolt 3, which is true. But at the same time, they're fucking up the entire device compatibility thing by introducing yet another protocol to the USB-C peripheral space. And I think... USB-C is really complicated and the fantasy of one port everywhere and everything is interoperable is fine and it would have been great if it had worked out that way 
But because they messed up the spec and allow anyone to use any protocol they want over alternate modes, that dream is out the window. Have you heard what's the situation with the current like USB-C charger shipped with those devices? No. And I'll land on that. You'll see. It's even simpler than your uh, monitor example. Uh-oh. The cable that comes with your USB-C charger is for charging purposes or for USB 2 purposes. So if you were thinking that, oh, I'll use this as a USB-C, uh, like, like maybe a USB 3 with a USB-C connector or a Thunderbolt 3 cable, you can't because this cable does not support the speeds or the pins that it is required to pass through USB 3 protocols or Thunderbolt 3 protocols over that cable. Only USB 2 or charging. So or power. So if you want to have like Thunderbolt 3 capabilities or some specificity, uh, some generation of USB 3, you need to buy a different cable. Oh, God the one in the box is not able to do that. And just before we we started to record, people were asking, can I use this cable to do target mode with my laptop? No, you can't because it's USB 2. Oh, my God. Well, that's all we have to say. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so USB-C is sort of a clusterfuck. And I think that's a good way to end this episode. Yeah, and I think what Apple is going to do with that is by using a standard port, they'll try to push Thunderbolt 3 everywhere and that's the kind of gameplay. Is yes, good PR, standard port, but then it's great you for Apple. Be... It's not so great for everyone until their Intel chipsets just implicitly support Thunderbolt. Yeah, and it will force all of the accessory manufacturer to provide Thunderbolt to support. So Apple wins, and that's it. Yay, yay. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, some somebody forgot to do the outro here, but that's okay. No, I was just like trying to reconcile that story you just said, and it is so weird. Anyway, uh, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, which has mostly been comprised of follow-up, uh, <laughs> you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 53 and click the dozens and dozens of links that will be in there for the follow-up, or maybe like one or two for the actual topic. Um, you can find every episode of this fabulous show at limitlesspossibility.net. You can also find it on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Once again, your questions are welcome for the next two episodes, so please submit them if you have any. You can find me on Twitter at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find the Garibier at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.